Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Father Nathan Global. Hello. Here we are on uh, recording on Holy Thursday, so happy uh, feast day to you, my brother priest. Today we celebrate the feast of the institution of Eucharist and priesthood, so here we are. Yes, it's my first one as a priest, so I'm very excited. First triduum here in our uh, loon-themed studio. Oh yeah, it's getting getting pretty wild. In, a, in addition to the uh, loon clock, we now have two loon lamps, right? One by Father Nathan over there on the other side, and one of you by myself, so thank you to our loon gifters. I know. Uh, I know that one of them was from Bill Wimsat, uh, father of Genevieve, Genevieve Wimsat. Um, so I think he got the one that's the full-length loon. Right. But mine has a touch on it, so that's pretty sweet. It's a touch lamp, yeah. It's it's good. It is a touch lamp. So last week, um, the recording came out, and um, I texted Catherine Arendt, uh, and I said, Aww. you better uh, do a holy hour before uh, you listen to this podcast. And she goes, I'll call you in tears this afternoon, and because uh, Gonzaga's out, they it's go all out, over. They go out full of tears. <laughs> Carrying seed for the sowing. I feel really bad. I do feel bad because I I usually root for the underdog. Um, But Gonzaga is always in the position where they're the underdog. And somehow they're a number one seed or number two seed or whatever else. And yeah, I'm sorry. It just happens. These things just happen, you know? Ten years ago today, or like, I mean, around ten years ago, uh, it's like within a month, uh, University of Illinois was marching through the tournament on fire, everything's great. I was in the Orange Crush, had uh, Final Four tickets, totally excited. And then on Good Friday, the 25th of March at 3 p.m., my grandmother, Olga, died. And uh, and the funeral was the same week as the Final Four tickets. So I released them. I said, you know, no worries. I sold them to, I can't even remember what his name was. Um, and uh, we watched it. And then when University of Illinois went to the title game, Um, when we won, we all ran out to the quad at University of Illinois, and it was like a scene out of like Matrix, where there were like (laughs) drums and people with their shirts off and just like going crazy, and I was like, I don't want to be here, like they were getting ready to rebel, so, and then they lost, so. They rose up to play. They rose up to play, so um, set your hearts on deeper things, Amen. even though uh, that is quite a delightful experience. Amen. Okay. Well, I uh, I got a topic today for you, Ba-da-da-da-da-da. and uh, the topic is what is marriage? Marriage, 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 and what brings us together today? Marriage. Uh, what is marriage? Is the title of the book that I'm holding in my hand here by um, Sharif Girish. Girish. Who? I don't know. You know oh. how good I am at pronouncing I thought it was words. Robbie George. And Robbie George, and a guy named Ryan Anderson, who just spoke up in Boulder. Yep. Um, this is an amazing, amazing book. Um, it's not long. It's only about 120 pages. But I, I find it to be the clearest rational defense and explanation of what we understand marriage to be. And it's done by uh, from a legal, secular perspective. So Robbie George is a Catholic. I don't know about the other guys, but um, they argue it not from a perspective of faith, but just from a perspective of law. Okay. So it's pretty interesting, and it's good stuff. So I use this as the basis of my uh, my big marriage talk um, 
on uh, on the marriage retreat that Father Brian Larkin and I did uh, two weeks ago, which he forgot, quote unquote, forgot to record. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast on this because you suck, Larkin, because you knew my talk was better than yours. Basically, the structure of our retreat, hopefully none of them are listening, but um, we bring them in, we watch a little NCAA basketball, we give them a bunch of beer and kind of hang out, go ski, and then on Saturday night... The SmackDown comes. That's right. Father Brian hits them first round. They get a little break, and then I really pop them. Razor Ramon. That's right. So Father Razor Ramon, he would do this thing called the Razor's Edge, where you would put the person on their back and just like slam them. And there was one time I did it to my little brother, William, except my parents had gotten a new comforter for their bed, and it was like surprisingly slippy. So I did the Razor's Edge like on the bed, and he like slipped off and like hit the wall. Nice. Yep. So that would explain some things. You're just, you're just, you're just giving him the razor's edge. Give him the razor's edge. So, um, so yeah. Today, what I want to do is um, give our podcast listeners the razor's edge. Give the podcast listeners the razor's edge. That's right. So this is uh, hopefully going to be one of these topics, like the annulment one, that people can use as a resource. Um, A lot of marriage preparation is uh, talking about aspects of marriage. You know, forgiveness in marriage. Focus inventory. What are your take on pets? What do you guys, you know, mm. uh, these kind of questions. Finances? Huh? Anything? <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Personal issues? Lifestyle expectations? Yeah. yeah. So we talk about aspects of marriage, but uh, a lot of times when I have a couple that's given me, uh, given me trouble right away, I usually just tell them, I'm just like, if you can define what marriage is, I'll exempt you from all this stuff. Hmm. Just, just give me an ex. Just define it. And it's like... Yeah, it's a lot harder than uh, we realize to just say this is what marriage is, and it's and it's funny to think about that if you're preparing for marriage and you can't even give an explanation of what is marriage. And the whole crisis that we're in right now, culturally in our country, uh, is not a question of legal rights. It's not a question of tolerance. It's not a question of um, of you know I don't know like hospital visitations and, and financial things like that. The it's about what is marriage. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the whole point of this podcast today is to present two different perspectives of marriage, of w- two definitions of marriage, based on uh, these guys' very clear explanation. And then I want to flesh out the explanation or the implications of what we understand marriage to be. This is basically what I did in the talk. When I gave the talk two Saturdays ago, I sat down with a tall glass of Maker's Mark and I just sat on a chair and I said, this is going to be probably the most painful half hour of many of your lives, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you everything you don't want to hear about marriage, and I'm going to do it in a way that's so rational and so it's so demonstrable that it's there's you can't you can't get away, mm-hmm. you can't run away. So we're going to try and do that here today. All right? Are you excited? Ah, kind of, because uh, I don't know if I could give a adequate definition of what marriage is. So this will hold. So this is page one uh, from Robbie George's book here. Page one. He says two views on marriage. What we've come to call the gay marriage debate is not directly about homosexuality, but about marriage. It is not about whom to marry, but about what marriage is. It is a pivotal stage in a decades-long struggle between two views of the meaning of marriage. Okay? So he says there's two views. Number one, the conjugal view of marriage has informed law along with literature, art, philosophy, religion, and social practice of our civilization. It is the vision of marriage as a bodily as well as an emotional and spiritual bond, distinguished by its comprehensiveness. Okay, that's number one. The conjugal view of marriage. Yes. Number two, a second revisionist view has informed the marriage policy reforms of the last several decades. 
It is a vision of marriage as, in essence, a loving emotional bond, one distinguished by its intensity. Okay? Hmm. So there's two views of marriage. The conjugal view is about a bodily as well as spiritual union that's marked by the comprehensiveness of it, the totality. Yes. The full body, the full soul. The second view, the revisionist view, that has taken prominence in our culture in the last 40 years is one that is the that marriage is a loving emotional bond distinguished by intensity. Does that make sense? So the conjugal view is body and soul and it's comprehensive. The revisionist view is just an emotional bond, so just something spiritual, mm-hmm. distinguished by intensity. In- so intensity of what? The intensity of the emotions. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um you you can see how varying they are. So as Catholics, we profess and have always believed that the traditional understanding of marriage, which is that marriage is a conjugal friendship. Conjugal friendship. That's that's the best working definition. I think every marriage prep couple, I hope they, they got that from the point that what is marriage? Marriage is a conjugal friendship. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I hear the word conjugal, I immediately think of the movie Office Space. You remember that? Mm-hmm. When they're talking about conjugal visits in prison. Mm-hmm. And I, so it's kind of like this funny word. So that's the first question is like, what is... What is conjugal? What does that mean? Conjugate. Conjugate? Conjugate conjugate verbs, right? (laughs) Something like that. To bring together? Yep. Con with yugium, union. So we get yoke, Mm. bond, right? So conjugal means bond. It means with a bond. It means a union of something that happens. Mm -hmm. Conjugal friendship, right? When Larkin gave the first talk that night, he gave it on friendship as as virtue, as a school of virtue, and uh, and it was a good talk. And actually, we invited him to give that talk in the podcast, which he respectfully declined. Bum 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 bum. So I was like, you know what? You don't want to rehabilitate your character. That's fine. You know, we're going to keep making fun of him. That was the first talk. Second talk was on the conjugal kind of friendship, which we call marriage. Okay. So conjugal friendship is a kind of friendship that is different than other kinds of friendship. And that kind of friendship is one that creates a union, a bond of body and soul that, as Robbie George says, is comprehensive. It's total. It's complete, right? That means that there has to be complementarity spiritually as well as bodily, physically, yeah. bodily. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Um we have a great friendship. I actually said this about Larkin. It was kind of awkward because we kept referring to the companions, uh, our priestly fraternity and reference to marriage. And I said, uh, Father Brian and I have a great friendship, just like Father Nathan and I. We're united together in priestly fraternity, desire for holiness, you know, great things like that, love of bourbon. It's not a conjugal friendship because it's not total in the sense that it's not body and soul. Mm-hmm. So it's purely a friendship, but it's not a conjugal friendship. A conjugal friendship is one that unites comprehensively the body and the soul. And that requires the the complementarity of two bodies, namely the body of a woman and the body of a man, okay. which are the only two Lego pieces that kind of fit together. Yes. Does that make sense? Yep. What about, um, I don't know if this is where the question comes in, but like you've heard of friendship, friendship with benefits, friends with benefits. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Because so, you have... You have two people who have a friendship, and they want to enjoy uh, bodily and even emotionally something more without kind of the the hassle of, you know, Shane Company. Right. Located one half mile east of I-25 on Arapahoe Road or in Westminster off Highway 36 on 104th. 
Open Monday through Friday till 8, Saturday and Sunday till so 5. Online at shaneco.com. Shane, for those of you who don't live in the Denver metro area, Shane Company, I mean, since I was a kid, yeah. has had Tom Shane yeah. with his plain voice talking that. I love him. And somebody was telling me that they... It was Mike Humbo. Mike Humbo. Yeah. He was looking for a ring. For, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I wonder what time the Shane Company's at. And he's, he's like, where is the Shane Company? And then he remembered. He's like... <gasps> Off 140th Street, enough, you know, such, and uh, it's open till eight. That's great. So, so whatever Tom Shane is doing works. So you won't have to get a ring. You don't have to like commit long term. You know. So what's the difference? The difference is this: there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual thing missing in that sense. Mm. That as Catholics, we really believe that uh, marriage is both cons- is made by consent and then is consummated. Mm-hmm. So the consent says that. I give the totality of my soul as well as my body to you until death do us part. Because the nature of the comprehensive union, which is a conjugal friendship, means that it can only happen one time with one person. You can't have multiple conjugal friendships because of the totality Mm -hmm. of the nature of the friendship itself. Mm -hmm. So you can't just use your body to create kind of pseudo-marital experiences, you know? You have to do it one time with one person with your full soul given them in consent and then the full body in the consummation mm-hmm. so what's missing which is which you do multiple times which you do do multiple times hopefully yeah, okay that's true just just making sure you know making that clear yeah just making sure it wasn't just one time you know man it's crazy father oh, dude, it it these crazy. The triple vodkas triple it was crazy vodkas. the women were all over me what was i supposed to say father for, for these and all my sins okay so, okay that's a good yeah okay yeah, I like that. So I think that the problem is that um, that the the act, the sexual act itself, is is one part, um, but it it demands first the union of soul. Yeah. And I talk to people a lot about that who are struggling with chastity. I'll say, you know, you desire to make a physical expression of your love. Right? Mm-hmm. That's natural as a human being. Yeah, it's good, but it has to be proper and proportionate to the spiritual bond and to the place that you're at. And until you've given totally of your soul, then you can't give totally of your body. Yeah, the first part of, you said ratum et consummatum, so like ratified and consummated. Many times people just want to be like, I'm just going to consummate, you know, it's all right. Right. What are you consummating? Right. Like, what is it? You know, you're conjugating, uh, but what are you consummating? Right. Because the later in marriage, the the marital act becomes an expression of, um, and if you're Christopher West, you know, even like a, a sacramental of the first time, not that you made love, but rather in which you formed love and and consecrated your love wholly in one another. And then obviously like the expression of that, the, the richest expression of I give myself totally to you and you give yourself totally to me is... The three minutes in between laundry cycle loads or something. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. That's all I'm going to say. In a flight of the Concords, two minutes in heaven is better than one minute in heaven. Something like that. That's right. Okay. People are, people are like cringing listening to this. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. So that's the first view. Introductory. Okay. Uh, conjugal con- Marriage is conjugal friendship uh, marked by its comprehensiveness, both of body and soul. The second and the dominant understanding of what marriage is in our culture, and I would say of most of the preparation couples that I am working with, even mm-hmm. within the church, the majority of them, have embodied this second understanding of what marriage is, the revisionist view, right? Which is an emotional bond 
marked by intensity. Okay. Here's the problem with the revisionist view. If marriage is purely an emotional bond, then um, whoever that bond is with, it can take place. So let's say you're married for 20 years and they, they cite this story of a kind of a well-known um, news anchor and, uh, and this other guy in uh, New York City and they, and they just kind of run off together. Um, yeah, in two, back in 2006. So this guy, John Partilla, Upper West Side Advertising Executive meets Carol Ann Riddle or Riddell, who's a local news anchor, right? They're full of energy. They fall, they fall in love, and, uh, but they were both married. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? Well, you get divorced and they get married. Why? Because the, their intensity was so, of the emotional bond and the romance was so intense that how could we say no to this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's lauded by revisionists who say, this is a beautiful thing. Look at the intensity of their love. And even with um, um, couples of same-sex attraction, people are often lauding, look at how beautiful their emotional life is. Look at how affectionate, loving, respectful, look how kind they are. Um, look at the, the beauty of the intensity of their love. That's great. That's not the foundation of marriage if we understand it conjug- uh, as a conjugal act. Mm-hmm. It's only it's simply as this kind of revisionist bond. So what's interesting is that if you go with the revisionist approach, you have real, and they demonstrate this in the book, you really have no way of, from emotion, from the intensity of an emotional bond, you have no way of concluding that this is a, a an exclusive permanent union that can only exist between two partners, right? They cite that there's over 100,000 cases legally right now in the United States where people are looking for um, polyamorous, polyamorous relationships, polyamorous, polyamorous. Thank you. Three or more people mm-hmm. entering into marriage, right? Oh, yeah. But how can you deny that if you have if it's all based on an emotional bond? Mm-hmm. So you can see how it's just a slippery slope into the total collapse of the of the understanding of what marriage is. And uh, if you lose that comprehensibility, it just becomes something. It's emotions, and if the emotions pass and the intensity wanes, eh, you know what I mean. Right. We move on. So it's a very strange state that we're in as a culture right now, where you have this kind of rampant um, non-marital sexual activity happening, and then you have the understanding of marriage is just radically weakened to be just an emotional bond, and we can say to ourselves, well, no wonder why things are kind of in a state of chaos in terms of found the foundation of culture, which has always been understood to be marriage and family. Yeah. You can see where we're going with that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the state of things. So we we pretty strongly reject the revisionist understanding as being inadequate, um, though it is the especially among the intellectuals, uh, among anybody of high society, right? In Hollywood, all these different. You know, if you're if you're rich, famous, uh, you probably espouse um, the revisionist understanding of marriage whatsoever. You see that in the papers, right? When you're going through checkout line, Tom Cruise's new wife or whoever, you know, right. such and such. It's, it's just this revisionist understanding, and it's extremely problematic and extremely destructive in our culture. So one of the things we have to do is we have to say, let's demonstrate the beauty of conjugal friendship, and let's hold it as a unique and a beautiful reality. He's okay. thinking deeply. What, um, what, can you give a little bit more in way of the first definition in terms of the conjugal friendship about the importance of like offspring ah like getting there oh okay i thought we were closing it down no 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 okay no. good so now that was that was part one part two is what are the implications of a conjugal friendship what 
follows if you enter into this kind of conjugal friendship, if you enter into this thing we call marriage. What, is the, what logically follows from that? What are the aspects of it, the elements of it, that have to be preserved in order to be integral to what it is, mm-hmm. right? So I, I listed like four or five. I forget what, the, what I did in the talk. But the number one thing, and I went after every issue, and I explicitly said it in this meeting. And I was remarkably calm because uh, it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing to do in front of 50 people. Um, but I said, number one, conjugal friendship is a union, right? Which means that any kind of remotely sexual act outside of that union would be morally impermissible and bad for you, which means pornography and masturbation have to go, period. Mm-hmm. Because what it's an isolated act, and everybody knows that. It's, it's profoundly unsatisfying uh, because your sexuality is integral to and, and disposed towards this kind of conjugal friendship. So that's the first thing that has to go, is that there has to be kind of a self-mastery and chastity um, in order to be able to even enter into that because your sexuality is actually not intended for you. It's intended to be part of the total self-gift which is given in the conjugal friendship. That's the first thing. It has to be a union of two people. Yeah. Uh, Which, again, that sounds pretty simple and basic, but in a culture that's more isolated than ever before because of technology, because of mobility, whatever it might be, um, that seems kind of radical, you know? And uh, and the the growth of the pornographic industry is is directly tied to that, to this kind of intense alienation that I think modern man is feeling, Mm -hmm. despite the connectivity of Instagram and Facebook and all this different stuff. We're more connected ever before, um, but we're more lonely than ever before. Yeah. So we're grasping for that. Yep. That's number one. Number two, um, it's exclusive, right? It can only be done with one person. The total gift of oneself um, and the total comprehensiveness of it means that you can only do it one time. You can't say, my brother can't say to his wife, hey, um, will you marry me? Gets down on one knee. He did it at St. Malo's, this beautiful little chapel. We had a candle lit. I kind of came out of the choir loft and did a blessing, which was kind of funny and awkward. I kind of wrecked their moment. Very creepy. Um, uh, (laughs) But he didn't get down on one knee and said, you know, Meg, will you marry me for three to six months? At which point we will reevaluate whether this is a good thing for us both personally. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So it has to be kind of an exclusive and permanent reality, right? You do this, you want to make a comprehensive union. You can only do it one time with one person. That's what makes it comprehensive. And Mm -hmm. that's what's amazing. And a lot of times I tell people who are engaged, I said, the beauty of that is that he could have chosen anybody and he chose you or she chose you and only you mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's an amazing thing to be received into that. And that's why healthy marriage is such a, is such a beautiful thing because it really does rehabilitate uh, and brings about a beauty um, within the person of that feeling of being profoundly chosen. Yeah. So that's, that's part of it is the, there's, there's a scandal of particularity around it. Because every every single person has wonderful graces and wonderful gifts um, and wonderful individuality, and yet they're not perfect. Right. And in, in early in the process, like that's all you can just tell. Like yeah. they just want to get married, and everything's fine, and everything's great. And even the focus test, like they're really worried about it because they just say, like, we know that we're right for each other. It's like right. I'm not telling you you're not right for each other. I'm just saying that it's. It, you're going to have to have a little give and take. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, a few years down the road, like they can kind of laugh about it. Yeah. But then there's also a part where it's just like, you know, my my spouse is this and she's not that. 
okay, well, I mean, you're not going to get everything, you right, know? Right. I mean, <clears throat> I used to make a, a commitment to a breakfast cereal until the end of the box. And then I was like, I can't eat corn pops for the next like three weeks. You never should eat corn pops. They're no, disgusting. Delicious. That's some of the best milk. I mean, vote online. I was poll. a cinnamon toast crunch kid growing up. Yeah, but I mean, if you choose one, then all of a sudden, like a next next week, it's just like forget fruity pebbles, man. I'm going, I'm going healthy, and then later it's just like, no, nah, forget that. I'm going, you know, I don't know, whole grain, whatever else. Right. Every single person is going to have qualities that are going to be delighting, delightful for a time. I mean, hopefully for the rest of your marriage. Right. But then also, like, it's not going to be that. So there is there is a, a gratitude that one has that it's like she still chooses me. Or he still chooses me, even when like there is uh, pain and uh, fighting and whatever else. Like there's still a reception of the other. But the sad thing about living in a consumerist culture is that people become objects. They become like long-term cereal boxes. One of the things that drives or cell phone contracts. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is when guys who are living together with their girlfriends be like, "Father, I got to test out the car before I buy it, don't I?" And I just want to like punch him in the junk and be like, this is not an object that we're dealing with. Right. Pal. What the hell is wrong with you? But I hear that. Oh, yeah. I hear that a lot. I'm just like, you guys are nuts. So that's that's the permanence and exclusion are required, right? Uh, once you do this, you know, there's there's no turning back. And that's why we don't believe in divorce. And Christ's teaching on this is very clear because of the nature of the act itself. It's amazing. Um, the next one is uh, fruitfulness, right? which is the most important of the kind of um, aspects of comprehensive union. When you unite bodily in a conjugal comprehensive union, something different happens, right? You make babies. Mm-hmm. Did you want to explain more on that? Gobel has a remarkable uh, knowledge of the reproductive systems. I didn't know that until <laughs> we were talking about uh, NFP stuff a couple days ago up in Breckenridge. But I don't know if you want to elaborate on anything there. Nope. Nope. <laughs> don't really want to say anything good thank you i was hoping you wouldn't but you know the uh so yeah the basically the man's fertility and the woman's fertility exist and are the only organ uh only part of the human body that exist um by themselves as not being complete uh they're made for one another they're yeah. totally complementary and there's just no getting around this right the church has always taught the point of marriage is not for you to have the lifetime cereal box, but that when you enter into this conjugal friendship, new life comes about. Mm-hmm. You create new life. And that's what's just absolutely remarkable and beautiful. I mean, just a shout out to your new niece, right? That's right. Margaret Bernadette. Margaret Bernadette. And uh, even the guy who produces these, his wife was just induced. I don't know if they've had the baby. Um, but these, this is the most amazing and beautiful thing. And this is why the contraceptive culture is so destructive. It is so bad for the woman's body, but especially for the relationship. It, it really damages in a profound way that comprehensive union. What happens is that if you enter into this and you say, I want to give everything entirely to you for the entirety of my life and only you, and I want to enter into this exclusive, permanent, beautiful union, but then you start to reverse everything by saying, well, we want to travel, Father. Like we just have some crazy plans and we've never been to Malaysia. And uh, so yeah. we, don't, we don't need to get, you know, we don't need to do this like uh, babies thing yet. I mean, yeah. we, we're not really financially established yet. You know, um, I want to get the new iBo- uh, Xbox and, you know, 
we don't have an iPad and, you know, kids are going to be kind of inconvenient. We're not going to be able to sleep a lot. It's crazy. You are starting to live a lie within the very thing that said, I give everything. Now, certainly there has to be responsible parenting and NFP, national family planning exists for that reason, right? But that fruitfulness is the very source of, that's that's the deepest gift of this kind of conjugal friendship. That's what's different about the union, right? Is that it's body and soul. And when it's done beautifully, amen, you see it. You see it in beautiful families. Yeah. Any thoughts? Just I, I can't, deeply I, I can't remember. I, I had one and then it kind That's of okay. evaporated. So I, I, one of the things that we always talk about on these retreats is, you know, the, that statistic, I'm sure you've heard it of, you know, 50% of marriages fail. That's staggering. Yeah. And I usually talk to them about that in, in preparation. I just say, you know, I know you think you're different, but everybody thinks they're different. Mm-hmm. There's no couple I've ever met who has later gotten divorced who said, yeah, you know, we kind of figured we would be in the 50% who were getting divorced. No, nobody doesn't. One out of two, it's like, oh, it's just devastating. Yeah. And the effects of divorce are, are just so painful for people to, to, to deal with and to go through. And so you're really damaging yourself by, um, by going into it um, with a contraceptive mentality. Um, and then also with kind of, uh, you know, living together, um, acting in kind of a premarital way, like we talked about earlier, right? That this comprehensive union, this conjugal friendship is a marital reality, which means that it always follows from the actual effects of, uh, of the vows itself. And that's the definitive moment in one's life. That's why as priests, we're so privileged to stand there and witness on behalf of the church when you give the vows to each other, because that's when you affect and enter into this kind of amazing comprehensive union mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and I what I was trying to think of before was, I mean, if you're saying that it that it naturally it naturally follows, but in some sense too, it's so it so naturally follows. Now, granted, if you're 75 and your spouse has passed away, and you know you find someone else, or your past childbearing years for whatever reason, we won't ask you these questions. However, if you are young and nubile. Um, and excited to um, enter into union, and I don't just mean like, you know, uh, like the union of, you know, whatever, like we're standing together, we have, you know, shared financial statements and whatever else, her name is now on the title of my, you know, Volkswagen or something. We actually ask this question at the beginning of the rite of marriage. Uh, Bob and Tony. Have you come here? Is Tony, a girl. Tony with an I. <laughs> okay, that's the name of my. Sorry, that's <laughs> friend of mine. Uh, Bob and Tony, have you come here freely and without reservation to give yourselves to each other in marriage? Okay, so that's the union. That's the that's. Do you want to enter into this friendship? Right. Freely. Okay. You have to freely choose it because as you freely choose it, it means that you'll have to choose it for more than just like you know, um, you know, six months or something. We, we have, right? Right? Is yep, the, we have. We, we mm-hmm. have, okay. Uh, and then, will you love and honor each other as man and wife for the rest of your years? We will. We will, okay. We have, we will, past, present. And then the, the next question, which uh, a lot of times um, just gets passed over, whatever else. I mean, uh, I'll tell a little story after this. Will you accept children lovingly from God 
and bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church. It's so important and it's so natural that we're already making plans for it even, you know, before they've ever even had relations. Wink! (laughs) That's what we say. Um, But um, at my brother's wedding, I was the best man. And when they asked that that question to him and, you know, his wife, Stephanie, um, and they both said, we will... I did a fist pump. Fist pump. Yeah, like like chiching. You know, and my brother's like, How could you do that? Well, four nieces later, baby. Here okay. Yep. So um so I mean, it's not just something that it's like, uh, we're gonna tell you that you will have kids. A lot mm-hmm. of times people hear about the Catholic Church and it's just like, Oh yeah, they want women barefoot and pregnant and you know in the kitchen. In the kitchen and tithing and all these <laughs> other horrible things. Um no Based on the the intensity, yes, of your friendship, and based on your level of commitment both bodily and spiritually to one another, it is natural for us to assume that God is going to bless this union through children. Now, there are those that are incapable, uh, for a multitude of reasons, of getting pregnant, both men and women, Okay. It does that mean that they're not in a valid marriage because they haven't? No, absolutely not. They they have consecrated themselves wholly to one another, and in some sense they have they have removed their um, their hands in the sense that it's just like we don't control this. Mm-hmm. We don't control the fact that we will or won't have children. Right. But is there an openness on your part? Because sadly, there are many people that could have children and won't, and there are a lot of people who can't have children who want them. Right. And and at the same time, um, their their marriages are to varying degrees of fruitfulness, because the fruitfulness is not based merely on children. It's about um, you laying your lives down for one another in the image of Christ in this church, and I've seen especially for for two of my friends uh, from the University of Illinois, um, their faithfulness in this regard, and they are a beautiful couple, couple, and they haven't been able to have children. They've been married seven or eight years, and yet I they haven't grown cold or like frustrated or whatever. They've deepened their love for one another and for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I have I, I had several other experiences in the last couple of years where kind of like the night before the wedding and these are weddings of friends people I felt close with they were like yeah so the the woman is like yeah so I'm fertile uh what do we do uh, for the wedding night and we've really discerned and I and sometimes it's like you know go for it and other times it's like no you really need to you need to abstain tonight uh for just cause and there's there's so it's not always just like, all right, get out, get out there, and you know, have five kids, and uh, you know, just be destitute or something like that. There really is a discernment that needs to happen, but it needs to be that openness, that radical openness, trusting that that this fertility is a gift, and that children will make your life just so much remarkably, so remarkably, so much more beautiful. I the change that I've seen in my siblings, and I know it's the same for you, when they had kids, yeah. is far more amazing and beautiful than when they got married. It was awesome when they got married. It was a great moment, great parties. But when they had kids, they changed. Yeah. They're different people. Oh, yeah. And uh, the longer you wait, contracepting, going to Malaysia, I'm just like, you're not doing yourself any favors, guys, because yeah. you're trying to control. 
And uh, so anyways, that's that's plenty on that for right now. Um, do you have any final thoughts, thoughts, feelings, or desires, as Deacon Pat would say? Well, I mean, what I have come to know in, in marriage, um, in my own life, theologically, um, pales in comparison to um, incarnationally in, like you said, in my siblings. Because you find this person... And it's crazy because you you just have a friendship, and that friendship grows and and flowers, um, and eventually they say we want to to be friends for the rest of our life, and not just like you know kind of you know besties mm-hmm. besties with testies. Um, oh. We want to be um, together, and what ends up happening is parts of another. Parts of my brother and parts of my sister have come to life and come to maturity and 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 really have borne fruit, um, and and it's reciprocal in their in their spouses and and I think you could say the same for them, um, but it's only because they it's not because they have said we want we want to do um, we want to be this for the rest of our mm-hmm. life we don't just want to do this for the rest of our life. We want to be this. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, like, uh, things that I haven't seen before in them blossom, you know? And part of that happens through children, but part of it happens in the mutual help that one another gives to the other and the love that they have for their in-laws. Um, and, you know, there's just there's there's purifying elements in marriage more than just, you know, the children that you have. Yeah. Um, so... Um, in part, the only way that we can look at uh, marriage, we can look at it theologically, we can look at it legally, we can look at it from natural law, whatever else. But I think incarnationally, when you start looking at couples, um, men and women who have been together for 30, 40, 50 years, have dealt with a variety of issues, um, it's wonderful to see, like, this really is a conduit of grace. Yeah. It's not just something that like doesn't matter at all. And um, well, you know, if some people want something else, and w- we can protect the Christian definition, we'll just call it something different. No, like it won't have the same effect, and it won't have the same um, uh, synergy in the world. Uh, it won't add this dynamism to the world if we transform it and make it under our image. Yeah. Marriage is made unto the likeness of God, and He created it. He ordered it from the beginning. Right. Um, so it is the. I think it's the greatest natural image of the Trinity and of the life of God itself. And so I always tell couples, I said, you know, uh, most people don't get married in the church. Most people get engaged and then start planning a wedding. And I'm like, I'm grateful that you're here to prepare yourself for marriage for this true friendship. Mm-hmm. So. Here we go. Hopefully, this is helpful to some people. A couple shout outs to some conjugal marriages. Conjugal That's what friendships. I was going to do. Uh, Mark Gallic and Lacey Gallic, um, their godson, uh, Joseph Solanus, my boy, who I baptized in the hospital a year ago. Uh, shout out for them. Mark, I have an instruction from your wife here. He says, please respect uh, your choleric sanguine wife. You already a, gave this one. I think it was deleted, though, wasn't it? Okay. Uh, Say Tim, it again. Tim and Maggie. Wait, what does he have to do? Respect your choleric wife. Yeah. Tim, and you respect your choleric friend, non-conjugal friends, right? No. <laughs> Tim and Maggie Glumkowski up in Michigan. 
Maggie is the sister of Alana, who we've talked about before, and uh, grateful that she was passing through town. Tim, I got to know a couple years ago. And then Amanda and Joe Grubbs, who I married uh, a couple years ago. They're down in um, uh, down in Arizona, and I think they just had their first little guy, I think. So that's that for today. Okay. So I want to give one to Megan and Tim Hammond and Molly and Peter Corrigan. Uh, two uh, close friends of mine from the University of Illinois um, and it was a wonderful uh, and delightful thing to be present for their um, kind of growth in friendship waiting and longing for a spouse and now you know they they've kind of entered into that uh, life together and and uh, Megan was actually the one that texted me and said I was working out on the treadmill listening to the podcast and uh, had to stop because I was laughing so hard. So, we liked it, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, to Jack and Ann Conroy. Jack Conroy. Jack Conroy. Um, that's most of the marriages that have happened in the last, you know. Oh, and the Brzeckis. Ah, uh, the Brzeckis. We had a wonderful dinner at Helga's. The Helga's. So. Yeah, Brian and Laura, great. Uh, great. We did their uh, marriage blessing. They're awesome. Uh, I forgot Father Michael Olaflin, a.k.a. Olaf. What? Uh said he met a couple of seminarians in Conception in Conception Abbey. Oh yeah. Travis Crotty and Thomas Maddock would love a shout out on the podcast. Boys, thanks for listening. Okay. That's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your conjugal friendships. We'll see you next week. Happy Easter. <laughs>